Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I speak to you today on the threshold of the beginning of Season 3 of our podcast. This episode, which you are about to hear, was intended to be the season closer for Season 2, but because of production delays and because of COVID and because of new babies, that season was never ended properly. So what will follow here is the end of Season 2 slash the beginning of Season 3 as we prepare for our next period of time together. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another fruitful season of exploring this book that shapes our liturgies, that shapes our lives, and helps us find Jesus at the center of the storms of our life. God's Presence in a Renewed Israel A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah On that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Whoever is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, once the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over its place of assembly a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Indeed, over all the glory there will be a canopy. It will serve as a pavilion, a shade by day from the heat, and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. Here ends the lesson. I feel like this is pointing us back toward an Edenic scene. And I do you see that? An Edenic. Oh, an Edenic scene? Yes. I think it's more of an, an uh, the adjective form of Exodus, an exoditional scene, maybe? Um. <laughs> well, yeah, there is like the tabernacle in the wilderness. We get the, um, the flame by day and, or the smoke by day and the flame by night that comes from the tent of the Lord, the tent of meeting. Um, but also the things like the fruits of the lands shall be in the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Um, all the glory there will be a canopy. It will serve as a pavilion, a shade by day from the heat and a refuge from the shelter from the storm and rain. Um, I think of one, the Edenic scene of like, with God in the cool of the day mm. and things kind of all taken care of here but also the psalm um, the sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night right it should be laid at your right hand um, all these symbols of comfort in mm. the presence of God well and I think you can also see um, some of the um, some of the elements from some of the prophets um, 
especially of Elijah with calling down the fire from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, at verse four, um, with the spirit of judgment and by spirit of burning. Um, so I, I really think Isaiah is pulling on some some rich images from scripture that is pointing us towards not just a renewed Israel, but almost an Israel that is being completely recreated. Okay, so yeah, that's the point I think I'm getting to, that the, there's this Edenic symbolism and, and all that. It is a new creation. Almost like Isaiah is pointing us towards what's going to happen when the Messiah comes into our midst. Uh, almost as if this Messiah will be the firstborn of all creation. Um, and uh, The new Adam. The new Adam. Um, almost as if Isaiah is prophesying about not just a particular time, but about a particular personage. Um, again, understanding that the, the, the Jewish perspective on, on Messiahhood is, is different than the Christian idea, um, we can still see Isaiah pointing towards the day of the Messiah as being a day when things are recreated. And then the presence of God appears mightily during those days with this mm-hmm. symbol of protection that we have in our midst. And then I think it, it leads quite well into the psalm that is appointed to go with this reading from Isaiah 4. It's Psalm 122. And for all of you uh, um, British monarchy fans, <laughs> this, this may sound familiar. You're not, going, you're not going to sing Zadok the priest, are you? I, no, I'm not going to sing Zadok the priest. I'm, but, you know, there's some John Rudd in here, some royal wedding um, or coronation. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is at unity with itself to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the assembly of Israel, to praise the name of the Lord. For there are the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and quietness within your towers. For my brethren and companions' sake, I pray for your prosperity. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek to do you good. I do kind of need to get past the point from, there's a line from uh, the King's speech uh, where Lionel uh, says to uh, George VI, and the choir will sing gloriously. And I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And you won't be glad because they sing it for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> rubbish, 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 rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and Australia. Um, but there, there is this kind of, this I think is more of, a renewal sense. This is a coming back to Jerusalem. And it's an a full word that we were using earlier, idyllic Jerusalem. Um, 
not one I'm sure I'm fairly sure that ever actually existed. Mm. Um, at least not in this temporal plane, not on earth that, you know, Jerusalem is built as a city at unity with itself. There is quietness within your towers. <laughs> not exactly. No. Um, but that that is the hope, right? That is the hope, not just for the physical city of Jerusalem, but for the great Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, um, that will be a place for all people. Well, and I think the other thing that you can say there is that, you know, maybe at one time Jerusalem was one people occupying one city for a brief shining moment. Very brief shining moment. A Camelot, you might say. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, the shining city on a hill, you know, may have existed briefly. But as history and as scripture has shown time and time again, Jerusalem is overturned, is ransacked, is, is, is pillaged. Um, and even now today, the old city of Jerusalem is divided up into quarters um, mm -hmm. and divided up into quarters, not only among Christians, but also of, uh, divided up among quarters with Jewish traditions and Muslim traditions and um, the entire side of the Dome of the Rock. Uh, the Haram al-Sharif and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, rules and regulations about when you can go up onto the Temple Mount and rules and regulations of when you must be down. And um, this sect controls this portion. And so, you know, Jerusalem is bit as, built as a city that is at unity with itself. And then history happens. Um, so I, I <laughs> then, think... Then real life happens. Then real life happens. So the power of myth... Again, uh, we can mm -hmm. we can read this Psalm one twenty two and then see what um, uh, John of Patmos was imagining as he's picturing the new Jerusalem coming down from the clouds and and um, and we can see some of those images reflected in each other. This higher Jerusalem, Jerusalem as the as the figurative figurative city of God. Um, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of the the Old Testament, a lot of the Psalms. There's these where it seems like oh things are wonderful. This is how it is, but really it's writers many years later, kind of looking back and saying, we're writing this because this is what we want things to be like. This is how we want it to be. This is how it should be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we we kind of have some of those, not as many, but some of those myths in our own history and stuff, um, looking back and saying, oh, the, the great founding fathers, well, they were really kind of messed up. But the picture that we pray, that we present, is what we hope to be really one day. Um, this is an interesting place to inject some of my uh, past life training as an English, uh, as an English scholar pointing out that in literary criticism, there's this thought uh, pioneered by Derrida that suggests that the language that we use creates the reality that we participate in. Mm -hmm. 
And so if we're using this language about what Jerusalem is and what Jerusalem shall be, you know, it helps to sort of create the picture, create the reality of what we wish Jerusalem was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can see some of that um, construct, constructivism present inside of this, inside of this text. And so it's not just prophecy of what Jesus is going to bring, if we're thinking from the, the Christian perspective of Messiah, but a roadmap of what we can accomplish and what we should be working toward. And I, I want to put you on the spot here and ask you about this use of the word peace. Because I suspect that this isn't just peace. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm guessing you're putting me on the spot because you want some Hebrew thrown in here. My, uh, my, my knowledge of Hebrew is rudimentary, uh, but I suspect that this is the shalom. This is the shalom. And shalom, I mean, it means peace, uh, but it is so much more than that. It is a perfect peace. It is um, a peace without... You know, it is thinking of a world without want, without hate, um, without war, um, you know, not just the absence of evil or the absence of destruction. Um, It is something that mankind, I don't think, has ever actually experienced. And but God has, and, and God is the one that can give it to us. We get small glimpses, small, very small glimpses of shalom. And this is why in, in Hebrew-speaking countries, such as Israel, Palestine, um, or in Arabic-speaking countries, and particularly among our Muslim brothers and sisters, that... Uh, the word shalom and salam, salam aleichum, uh, mean the same thing. And you are greeting somebody or saying goodbye to somebody by praying peace upon them. Uh, like in Jesus says uh, to his disciples, when you enter a house, speak peace upon that house, right? Wherever you go, if you keep this peace within yourself, the goal is for you to take that everywhere else and that it will spread. It's a difficult thing to do, but that's what real shalom is or real salam is. And so when we think about praying for the peace within the walls, a perfect peace, a complete peace. It's not something, it's not something that could be contained within Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem could not be contained. And so the real Jerusalem becomes the city of God because it is only God who can bring about a real shalom. Mm -hmm. And it is something that is to be given to all people, which we'll see in later readings as we keep going. It's almost as if Jerusalem is the city to which the tribes go up. So... (laughs) Figuratively and literally. <laughs> let us go to the house. I was glad when they let us go to the house of the Lord. <laughs> let us pray.
O God, you led your ancient people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Grant that we who serve you now on earth may come to the joy of that heavenly Jerusalem, where all tears are wiped away, and where your saints forever sing your praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. As we move into the next reading, which is Isaiah 55, um, this is uh, titled within our lectionary, Salvation Offered Freely to All. But I think it, it comes directly out of this, uh, God's presence in a renewed Israel, because Israel, Jerusalem, is meant to be that city on the hill. It is meant to be, these are the people of God that bring God and bring the light of the world to the rest of the world. So it is, uh, God does not say, you know, this is only for one people. God says, I have raised up a people to be an example so that all may come to know me. Mm. And here we come to Isaiah 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and succeed in that thing for which I sent it. Here ends the reading. <laughs> um, awkward silence you're hearing is is kind of me going, well, what do you say to that? Um, <laughs> what would you add to that, really? What would you add to that? Um, I think it's, as I said, like verse four, 
See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is one people being raised up as a um, citadel, as a, as a, a bright lamp on a lampstand, as, as a witness uh, to who God truly is. To me, for me, this is an image of the world that Isaiah is creating that has fulfilled the law. Where the law of God is all in all. In the beginning, he talks about everyone who thirsts should come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In a world where the law is fulfilled, where the law is actually carried in the people's hearts and lived out in their lives, those and perfected, who, and perfected those who don't have money don't need to worry about whether they're going to have food to eat or wine to drink because it will be provided. The people will actually be standing together in loyalty and love. Um, and this, this place that Isaiah imagines, like you were saying, Father Joshua, is such a place that exists in the world that the wicked are forsaking their ways and the righteous are forsaking their unrighteous thoughts and they're returning to the Lord and God is having mercy on them. It sets such a powerful example for the peoples of the earth that everyone sees it and goes, oh, wow, that's working. I want yeah. Yeah, um, I think we can also then look at the messianic miracles, right? Uh, if we look forward into the New Testament, uh, those who would have their wine come and have it. First miracle that Jesus performs is turning water into wine. Um, the those that would drink, those who thirst, come to the waters. You know. Jesus literally says this, I will give you drink that shall never dry up, that will well up within you. Like those who drink of these waters shall never thirst again. This is, as you said, the law fulfilled, the law perfected and not laws in legal speak or, or, or thinking of judgment and commandments but the perfect law of love. And I think that's really what we need to get down to. That's the brass tacks. This is the perfect law of love. Love your neighbor and love God. And all this is fulfilled. And with that, with that thinking about the water and, and thinking about what it is that we're hoping for in this place where salvation is offered freely to all, it points us to an earlier section of the of the the prophecy of Isaiah that is that is often referred to as the first song of Isaiah, Canticle Nine, which is the response one of the responses that are listed for this particular passage of scripture. Surely it is God who saves me; I will trust in Him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense, and he will be my savior. 
Therefore you shall draw water with rejoicing from the springs of salvation. And on that day you shall say, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. See that they remember that his name is exalted. Sing the praises of the Lord, for he has done great things, and this is known in all the world. Cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion, ring out your joy, for the great one in the midst of you is the Holy One of Israel. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. It takes everything within me not to sing that. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. Um, yeah, this is this is one of the canticles that is uh, regularly used for morning prayer, and it 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 does. It is a song. First of all, it's Isaiah twelve two through six. It is a song or canticle, and it just if you really take it in, it want, your heart wants to sing. It wants to leap out of you. If I'm not mistaken, swapping genres a little bit in me, this is not the 1982 hymnal in me. This is the BCP in me. <laughs> but if we look in our hymnal on page 678 and 679, um, we actually have um, a setting for it in our hymnal that is... Uh, one was put together, uh, uh, well, the words were compiled in 1944. The music was compiled in 1919. And then we have the other one who's using the 1944 words, but a hymn tune that was composed in 1950. Um, and, um, um, you know, and I've heard different settings of this. Um, but you know, it's so much a song that we're still singing it now is my point. Um, mm -hmm. it's still, it's still something that is common enough to us that we're still singing it. And it mirrors this, this image, uh, that comes in, in the last portion of the scroll of Isaiah perfectly. I mean, this, this is the song of a person that is a member of this society where salvation is offered freely to all. And how, <laughs> not to sound cliche or to take from another song, but how could you keep from singing to know that this has been offered freely to all? Truly, freely. I don't, you know, come with, even if you don't have money, come and drink and have your fill and, and all the things you it is free to all. Salvation, um, peace, shalom, peace, everything. How can you keep from singing? And with, with the God that makes salvation freely available to all people, it's the song that naturally comes about like that. I mean, it's like in verse 10 of, of the passage of scripture we have before that talks about the rain and the snow coming down from heaven. Um, and it doesn't return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If we would actually pay attention and do what God tells us to do, this could happen. Yeah. So so what does this say to those folks that um, want to build walls, want to draw those designation lines and say, I have the right way, I have the only way, and only if you follow this will you see God? I think what it says to them is, isn't that special? <laughs> or in the southern vernacular, bless your heart. I, I was waiting for church late. <laughs> well, you you were waiting for church lady, but you got southern church lady. So <laughs> Yeah, so all due respect to Dana Carvey, but maybe we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, convenient <laughs> let us pray oh god you have created all things by the power of your word and you renew the earth by your spirit give now the water of life to those who thirst for you that they may bring forth abundant fruit in your glorious kingdom through jesus christ our lord Amen. Amen. We mentioned Dana Carvey, and the first thing we say is, let us pray. So um, <laughs> let this be a lesson to you all. <laughs> a new heart and a new spirit. A reading from the prophet Ezekiel. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Here ends the lesson. Mm. To the point. <laughs> All I know to say is watch out, Margaret Thatcher. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, this is definitely leaning into that motif of being recreated mm. and, and gathered. Almost like, you know, like we gather up the fruits of the harvest. Mm. Yeah, that is the thing about particularly big harvest festivals. If you, um, even nowadays, if you've grown up in a rural community and have a harvest festival, everybody kind of brings their stuff in or like a 4-H fair. Um, everything is gathered and brought into the town and, and shared mm -hmm. was, was the main point. 
Um, so especially in true rural agrarian communities, um, you know, there was some way at the harvest festival, some way that everybody was taken care of because winter is coming. No copyright infringement there, but winter is coming and um, we wanna make sure everybody is sustained and taken care of. And uh, in this case, we are the fruits. And you also see this, this motif of, of mikvah, of being sprinkled with clean water and being completely ritually clean, like one would bathe to be ritually clean before one goes up into the temple. And it almost looks as though what we're getting here from Ezekiel is this, um, is this sense um, that when the Spirit of God comes onto all flesh, that the heart of stone, the part of us that is so indifferent towards human suffering, that is so blind to the pain that is going on around us, that that heart of stone is taken out and giving a heart of flesh that beats and feels and has had the calluses around it pulled away so that what we actually experience is the true feelings of what it is to walk around in the world and be confronted with the problem of injustice and human suffering and all of the above. Uh, if I say this, I would wonder if you'll go back there. It's as if the scales fall off. Yeah, um, how very Pauline of you, but yeah. Well, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking Paula and I was thinking uh, Lewis and Narnia. Oh, you're talking about being de-dragoned. Being de-dragoned, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, yeah, one of the most powerful images um, from the voyage of the Dawn Treader is when the Pevensey's uh, cousin... Oh, what's his name? Eustace. Eustace, that's his name. Um, Eustace is, is transformed into a dragon as a result of his own greed and his own sinfulness and his hardness of heart. And he gets himself into some trouble. And he has this encounter with Aslan, um, bringing back our favorite lion from literature. And which he talks about being de-dragoned. And at first Eustace is trying to do it himself and he's pulling scales off and the scales are coming right back and he just can't seem to transform himself. Mm -hmm. Aslan says to him, no, I must de-dragon you. I must be the one to do it. And there's this description by C.S. Lewis about as the scales are pulled away, how painful it is for the transformation to take place as Aslan is rending these scales from the flesh of the Eustace that is trapped underneath all of this armor and all of this hardness and all of this savage nature of the dragon. And, and we, we come to find out if we really dig deep into Eustace's story that some of that is the armor that he's put up for himself to protect himself um, from the pains of the world. And don't we all do that? But when we come in contact 
with the God of goodness and creation, and those things can be removed and we can be again. We can be made naked as we go into the bath here, right? You don't go in with your clothes on. Um, you go in vulnerable and you are made clean and suddenly you feel things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you are able to, there's a lightness about you. If, if anybody's ever gone, you know, like camping or something and you've been out for a week and not bathed, that first shower when you get back, oh my goodness, right? It's amazing. Um, or, or bathing or washing just before bed, wash, even just washing your face just before going to sleep. The difference that that makes um, to one, open you up to the good things around you and to bring you peace and mm-hmm. comfort. Father Joshua is full, fully aware that he is saying that about taking showers after being in the wilderness for a while, that he's talking to crunchy priests who regularly goes off into the wilderness and goes days without showering. Uh, so, yeah. But like, let's continue with this wilderness motif, right? This is what the children of Israel did. Right. They, went, they were off in the wilderness for 40 years. And then the first thing they do before coming into the new land the promised land is to pass through the waters again mm-hmm. um yeah i think this goes really well here with uh psalm 42 which is one of my favorites well and and we hope that they didn't just pass through the waters in their case but that they spent some time mingling in the waters and cleaning things up a bit because it's a little dusty in the sinai wilderness oh yeah um, I mean, thinking about that, just when we were in Israel and, and you wear your souls all day and you come back and it's like every sore that you had is opened up and your skin's broken and dusty and dry. And I would just sit in the bathroom and like, I pull chair in and set my feet in the shower. <laughs> I just needed my feet to soak for a while. Um, and I think we all we all just need that soak. We need that time near and in creation. So with that Psalm 42. As the deer longs for the water brooks. So long as my soul for you, O God. Here, the presence of God. My years have been. So, with that, here is the words of Psalm 42. As the deer longs for the water brooks, so long as my soul for you, O God is a thirst for God, a thirst for the living God. When shall I come to appear before the presence of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long they say to me, where now is your God? I pour out my soul when I think on these things, how I went with the multitude and led them into the house of God. 
with a voice of praise and thanksgiving among those who keep holy days. Why are you so full of heaviness, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? Put your trust in God, for I will yet give thanks to him who is the help of my countenance and my God. The use of the word yet here is so interesting um, because the way that it's it's constructed here, it's not yet as if something that we're waiting on. That's it, it's it's almost an ironic use of the word yet because it is that which is yet to come, meaning that mm-hmm. I will continue to give thanks to him. I will yet give thanks to him. I will yet, meaning that this is just thanks that continues to go forth to God help of the help of our countenance even even while my tears are my food day and night and everyone around me says where is your god now but still i will give praise and thanks to god well and even from our own tradition we can see that moment with jesus hanging on the cross and the people going past him saying you know he um let god save him if he delights in him you know Mm -hmm. um he all helped day, others himself and yeah well all day long they say to me where now is your god all day long they said to jesus i thought you were the son of god why are you hanging up there on that cross and yet jesus pours out his soul mm. he pours out his souls as he thinks on these things how he went with the multitude and literally led them into the household of God. Yeah, so, so Psalm 42 is David. And David talking about here, uh, I pour out my soul when I think on these things, when I went with the multitude and led them into the house of God. When he went out and met the Ark of the Covenant as it's being brought and taken up to the tent that was placed at the top of Mount Moriah, which is then becomes the temple. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, Jesus, who is the new Ark of the Covenant, on these, you know, as the Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday, as we say, literally leads the people into the house of God. It's hmm. almost it's almost as if Jesus has a direct claim on the throne in the household of David. Hmm. I'm also fully aware of uh, all of this as well passing the Vadi Kidron. Uh, and, and Vadi or Wadi is a creek, right? Or a dry basin that when the rains come just overflows with water. Right. And this is in the valley between the Mount of Olives and Mount Moriah uh, near Jerusalem. This is the path that David would have crossed. He would have crossed the Vadi Kidron and Jesus would have crossed the Vadi Kidron both to come into the house of God. Mm. My, as the deer longs for the water brooks, there's the water brook. Yeah. Well, and uh, Jesus, Jesus is sometimes described in ancient literature as the hind of God, the deer of God. Mm. 
as Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of the last things that he utters is, I thirst. And one yeah. of the things that commentators have pointed out for is, well, what is he thirsting for? Is he, is he thirsting for water or is he thirsting for refreshment from God? And when, uh, while hanging on the cross, when Christ is stabbed, it is blood and water that pours forth. Mm-hmm. Um, a living spring. Hmm. A new heart and a new spirit indeed. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who are reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And I'm so jealous that it's Father Joshua's turn to read because I love the Valley of the Dry Bones. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And I was just, this is, this is the one that I, I always want to read with like a bag of uh, either a bag of bones or a bag of uh, different size um, sticks or wood blocks that you can kind of rattle as, as you're reading it. Oh, I think it would be so cool. Anyway, this is a very familiar story, but let's see if we can dig a little deeper into it. It's from Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them. The skin had covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, and they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, 
Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Here ends the reading. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, the place that I always go with this is the wordplay. Prophesy to the Ruach. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the spirit. Prophesy. It's like this new spirit, this new breath comes upon these bones and comes upon this and and they're raised up. I, you know, the images of resurrection here are are more than about a a bodily resurrection it is literally about raising up a people that were lost Mm -hmm. and so again we get this recreation theme coming out in the readings that this multitude is brought back to life and not just brought back to life but brought back to their vibrance Mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not you know the walking dead as filmed in this valley of dry bones it's it's a vibrancy that is restored to them a new a new spirit again this idea of a new spirit being poured out upon all flesh well uh, with spirit being ruach with spirit being breath right and um i don't know if i have time to to kind of do the comparison but if we look back at genesis <laughs> let's all go back to the beginning um it's all full circle and uh Genesis chapter one, verse three, Vayamer Elohim, and said God. There is a direct connection between saying, speaking, and that breath. Um, There's also a direct connection between who God is uh, when we get the, um, oh, I can't remember what the actual word is, but it's the yod heh vav the tetragrammaton. The tetragrammaton, which are the letters that are put in place the name of God. Um, uh, but if you were just to pronounce those, they are Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. Or in the German, Jehovah. That's a whole nother story. But this Yahweh, it is almost a name without consonants. And you ju- are just saying the vowels and, and it is all about that breath that. <sighs> so here, this Vayamar Elohim taking from Genesis, God is putting the prophet in his place. In a almost like a, a play acting like here's how it was in the beginning 
speak to this and it will happen. Say these words and it will happen. Mm. And this is what I'm going to do. I am going to speak and my breath will go forth. My word will go forth. And these bones will come together. No more dry bones, but true living beings, the graves will be opened up. It's also interesting here in, in this passage from Ezekiel that God refers to the prophet as mortal. I don't mm. think this happens anywhere else in the prophetic literature. Mm -hmm. And it's not just something that happens once. When you move on to um, verse 15 of the 37th chapter, God speaks to Ezekiel again and says, mortal, take a stick and write on it. And then it happens again in chapter 38. Mortal, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog. And it's just this, this, constant, this constant naming of, of the prophet as mortal. And it's, I think it's almost reminding us of, of the fact that God is God and we are not. Yeah, or... <laughs> quite literally in the moment reminding the prophet okay you're going to do some really crazy stuff um but remember who you are right um in which is probably good pastoral care for prophets and and pastors, pastors. <laughs> um, who are occasionally called to do crazy things mm-hmm to rem to remember that our hope and our strength is in that which is outside of us. Yes. And that we're only able to accomplish the things that we accomplish through the power of God. Well, here the prophet says, um, you know, this is the house of Israel our, who says our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. And we are cut off completely. And God says, I'm opening up the graves. You are not cut off anymore. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean your hope is lost? I'm here. Hello. Well, and, and again, the response to this is, is perfect. Um, it come, it's the response appointed for this is the, the whole of Psalm 30. Um, I will read to you now. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. Sing to the Lord, you servants of his, give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. For his wrath endures with the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, made me as strong as the mountains. Then you hid your face, and I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord, I pleaded with the Lord, saying, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you or declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. 
You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore, my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. This is that point in the great vigil that you're still sitting in the dark, but I'm like, okay, it's coming. It's coming. Here it comes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, just verse five and six, just by themselves. For his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I know that that verse six, that is, is sometimes overused, particularly in, in, in churches that like to, to deal out prosperity and all that. But it is, this is where our hope lies. So that even when we are bracing ourselves against the storm, even if that storm we think is coming from God, it's, it's not going to last long. Joy is coming, favor for a lifetime. You have made me strong, but then you turn your face from me. And I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. Will I go down to the dust? Meaning, am I going to be cut off? But God says no. And then we respond, you have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Well, and, and God not only says, no, you won't be cut off for forever. He demonstrates that we won't be cut off for forever. Because the second Adam, the new Adam, comes along. One who is just like us and goes down to the grave, descends into hell. It was all the way to death. It was all the way to death. Is I mean, this isn't Miracle Max here. He's not mostly dead. He's all the way dead. And raises Jesus up not only to new life, but to perfected life. Life that is so perfect and life that is so restored and renewed that Jesus doesn't go through some, some sort of... Um, transformation before he ascends into heaven at the right hand of God. Jesus's physical body is lifted up into the heavens at the moment of the ascension. I'm getting way down the road. Well, even before then, brought back in perfection, this is like the Valley of Dry Bones, right? They are brought back into their fullness. Jesus is brought back into his fullness, so much so that he goes and he eats. Well, Jesus is brought back so much in his fullness, and this is where the rubber meets the road for me, is that Jesus is still perfect, is still made perfect, even as he bears the scars of what happened to him. Yes. The scars still remain, but there that that is a part of his perfection. Jesus's resurrected body still bears the marks of everything that happened to him, and it does not diminish his perfection. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't grant us some kind of hope about the life that is to come, I, I, I got scars. They're multiplying. <laughs> uh, but in any case, God can look at that and see that it is good and can raise that literally to his right hand. Mm. 
With that, let us pray. Almighty God, by the Passover of your Son, you have brought us out of sin into righteousness and out of death into life. Grant to those who are sealed by your Holy Spirit the will and power to proclaim you to all the world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And our last reading to close out the liturgy of the word. Seems like God keeps bringing us together. Uh, Comes from the expansive book of the prophet Zephaniah who in my version of the Bible is four pages long. A reading from the prophet Zephaniah. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and utter no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Then they will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Here ends the reading. It's almost time. (laughs) (laughs) Father Joshua is waiting happily for the proclamation of Easter. Even here at the in in the last days of our journey through Pentecost as the church. Well, we did. We did just uh, keep the uh, feast of All Saints and remember All Souls. With the, in a little way, it's a little bit of Easter. So, am I the only one that's seeing the wave to Amos in all of this? Say more. Then they will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Everyone shall sit under his own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. The gospel according to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, Amos. George, no, it's a direct quote from George Washington. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is this especially this. Nothing shall make you afraid anymore, and and makes us afraid, right? War, famine, disease, and all the things that go with them. Um, death itself. And all of that is ended in prophecy and promise. You have nothing to be afraid of anymore. I am your God. Verse 15, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Pointing us ever towards Advent, <laughs> um, which is where my heart is these days. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And lest we forget the words of the Gospel of John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. One of the most irritating things about the incarnation is that we take the incarnation completely for granted. The incarnation is there and the incarnation is literally God robing himself with flesh, coming among us with great power and glory. We reach out our hands and we can grab the shoulder of God. And God looks at us with God's own eyes. And recreates us and teaches us how to do all of these things that Zephaniah prophesies that can happen. Mm -hmm. Including not being afraid. Because if you will heed the words of the Lord your God, like we've said before, there is a way these things can happen. This is possible. And not only possible is coming, is being brought yes. forth into the world. And, you know, people get sucked into this. I have to be careful because we don't have time for this soapbox, but people get sucked into the Christmas vortex and they forget that the message of Advent is, is that the end is near. Yeah. Um, and that what is coming is God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we should tremble. Because one stone will not be left standing on top of another one. And thank God for it. The order of this world is upended. Thank God. I'm giving my sermon away for Sunday. <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it and i feel fine so yeah and thank god for it thank god for it again we get a response this time being from psalm 98 sing to the lord a new song 
for he has done marvelous things. With his right hand and his holy arm has he won for himself the victory. The Lord has made known his victory. His righteousness has he openly shown in the sight of the nations. He remembers his mercy and faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout with joy to the Lord, all you lands. Lift up your voice, rejoice and sing. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of song, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout with joy before the King, the Lord. Let the sea make a noise and all that is in it, the lands and those who dwell therein. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills ring out with joy before the Lord when he comes to judge the earth. In righteousness shall he judge the world and the peoples with equity. Judgment's not a scary thing here. The fear is taken out of it. The Lord is our help. Whom shall we fear? The rivers clap their hands and let the hills ring out with joy before the Lord when he comes to judge the earth, to judge all of creation. And here the psalmist is saying, all of creation shouts for joy, makes a joyful noise, is ready for this judgment because this judgment is a righteous one. This judgment turns things aright. You know, it's it's this moment in Scripture where we really need to remember that we, too, are part of the creation. How many of us cry out and want wars to cease? Who want famine to go away? Who want disease to be over? I have heard lament of disease more in the last two years than I ever thought I would hear in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, All this imagery of creation crying out and rejoicing. I think of when we all, like everybody went into lockdown, right? Um, In early 2020. And we saw how creation kind of rebounded, nature kind of rebounded. The vibration of the earth got quieter and wasn't being covered up by our noise, but rather we could actually hear the song of creation for the first time, I think, in a very long time. And it was just a little foretaste of it. Nature finally goes, oh, thank God they're gone. (laughs) As as the plague of humanity is met with a plague. Um, And and what that says to us is, this is what the song sounds like. Come and join it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's your sheet music. Come and sing. And I'm sorry, but I have this 
this moment of levity that I have to share with the group of thinking of the rivers clapping their hands. I think of the little ocean wave from Moana rising up and then clapping its hands. Sorry, in true Pixar animation uh, glory. Mm. That's probably for the B-roll. But, you know, it's almost as if we're saying that perhaps even we ourselves will burst into song and praise in spite of ourselves. Yes. That we will praise whether we want to or not. How can I keep from singing? How can I keep from singing? Let us. And with that, yeah. (laughs) A God of unchangeable power and eternal light. Look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up. And things which had grown old are being made new. And that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the end of Season 2 for the BCP and Me. Join us next time as we take up our discussion of the Book of Common Prayer once more and we take on the subject of holy baptism and its place in our lives as Christians. Join us next time on the BCP and me.